Okay, we're going to look at our text for Easter. This is Luke 23:50 through 24:12. Luke 23:50 through 24:12. Jesus has been crucified. Uh, he has died on the cross, and uh, that's where we pick it up here. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council and a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid it in a tomb cut in stone, where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James and the other woman with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stopping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. This is God's Word. You'll notice we've uh, stopped saying the Word of God, uh, and uh, thanks be to God, uh, we've started to say this is God's Word. Because sometimes if you're new in the congregation, and uh, we say something, and then the congregation says it back, they don't know what they're saying. So we're simply going to say, uh, this is God's Word, and there's no need to have a, a response for that, because it's true. This is uh, God's Word. Well, let's talk a little bit about this passage and about Easter. You know, Easter is all about life, but it begins with death, for the story opens in a graveyard. I have found uh, a graveyard is a good place to go, particularly when you're making decisions, uh, so you can, from time to time, find me lurking around a local graveyard, uh, perhaps late at night uh, with a long black cape. Uh, I do like uh, the peacefulness uh, of, a, of a cemetery and uh, reading the epitaphs uh, of the various tombstones. Uh, you know, it's sort of a, a trying to make a summary of one's life with, with a sentence. And so I've been thinking a little bit about what would the epitaph I would want to put on my gravestone uh, if people were walking uh, through the cemetery. And I've come up with my top three that I think. Uh, this would be the first one. Here lies Carlos Rodriguez. Uh, pardon me for not getting up. It's a polite tombstone, right? Well, this one's a little bit more belligerent. Here lies Carlos Rodriguez. What are you looking at? <laughs> Finally, number three. Here lies Carlos Rodriguez. You are on my head. Get off. I think that will prompt a response. Well, it's kind of fun to laugh at death, but the reality is death always has the last laugh. 
doesn't it? It's the uninvited guest, the elephant in the room. It's always lingering on the fringes, always taking ground. If life is the great hope of the world, then death is the grim reality, the reminder that we are mortal, that humanity is flawed and broken and sinful. And try as we might to keep death away, death is a one-way street. Death not only signals the end of our life, but it also signals the end of our love. For death destroys relationships, separates us from those that we love. Where there was once sweetness and intimacy and friendship, there's only emptiness. Death signals to all of us uh, that all good things must come to an end. Or must they? Because the story of Easter is a glimmer of light in the darkness. The hope that death would not have the last word. That some way, somehow, death could work backwards. For Jesus lives and dies and lives again. We see the separation of Jesus from those that he loves and then the reunion of Jesus with them again. And we learn a key lesson from this passage and from the life of Jesus because Jesus did not come simply to be remembered. He came to be encountered. Jesus came so that death would not have the final word. And so we're going to break down this passage and look at it and the truths and the hope that it gives us this Easter Sunday. The first point I want to touch on is that Jesus came to break the cycle of death. Number two, Jesus came to be encountered, not remembered. Finally, Jesus came that you might know him too. Because the point of Easter is not to remember Jesus. It's to encounter him. Well, let's begin with our first point. Jesus came to break the cycle of death. Well, we know what has happened so far. Christ has been crucified on Good Friday. The crowds that shouted Hosanna to the son of David in the beginning jeered, crucify him, crucify him. And mob rule took over and the Romans crucified Jesus Christ and he is gone. He is dead. And the spirits of his followers are crushed. They had left everything to follow Jesus. And they had hoped that in him, a new kingdom, the kingdom of God, would usher in, where there would be no more pain and crying and death and sadness. They had witnessed Jesus perform miracles. Has he healed the sick? Has he, has he uh, raised uh, those who were paralyzed? Has he, showed, uh, has he calmed the storms on the waters? And as Jesus spoke of himself, saying, I am the bread of life. He who feeds on me will never be hungry, and he who drinks from me will never be thirsty. And they had responded in faith. When Jesus said, do you believe? And the disciples in John 6, 68 said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. They believed in Jesus, or so they thought. And yet Jesus spoke of things that they had trouble understanding. He spoke of his impending death and resurrection. And he said not once, but numerous times that he would die and rise again. In the book of Matthew, verse chapter 20, verse 19, it says that he said that I will be turned over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on the third day will be raised to life. 
And in Matthew 16, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it. Lord, this shall never happen to you. Why did he and the disciples respond so vigorously when he spoke of his death? Because they loved him and they believed in him and they never wanted to be without him. And what they heard of was his suffering. They didn't hear about his resurrection. And so they're shocked when he dies because it's over. The way they respond in this passage shows their heart. Not only uh, the 12 disciples, but all of his followers, such as Joseph of Arimathea. Verse 50, now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council and a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision. He went to Pilate and he asked for the body of Jesus. And then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid it in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever been laid. Now why did, why did Joseph of Arimathea do this? Well, because he wanted to honor Jesus and he, he thought of what's the best way I can do that. I can give him my tomb. You see, Joseph was uh, a very rich man. And so he had a tomb cut in the rock and he had this uh, giant stone. In fact, very, very few tombs in Israel had one of these stones. They say they were about three to 5,000 pounds, about the size of a, a mid-sized car. And it would be rolled with a block and tackle into this, into this trough so that there was no way to get it out without some extensive tools to be able to do so. See, what Joseph was trying to do was to protect Jesus, to contain him in his tomb so that he would know where he was, so that no one would forget where Jesus was, that Jesus had lived and he had died. Well, if Joseph tried to contain and protect Jesus, the women were trying to preserve him. In verse 55, we see that the women who came with him from Galilee followed and they saw where he had been laid. And then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. And they rested on the Sabbath, but then they came because they wanted to, to apply these spices and ointments to his body, to wrap him in, this, uh, in, this, uh, in these spices and ointments. And why would they want to do this? Because they wanted to touch him and honor him and be near him. They wanted to stop the decay of his body. They wanted to preserve his memory, if you will, to try to push the, the effects of death off as long as possible, to hold on as long as they can. It's not that different from a mother who loses a child and refuses to go into their room to go ahead and clean things out because they want to preserve his memory. That's what the women were trying to do. And then finally, the disciples. If Joseph tried to contain and protect Jesus and the women tried to preserve Jesus, the disciples simply resigned. They were in the upper room with the door locked. And the women who saw the angels ran, and it says in verse 9, returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. The women come running into the room and say, he's alive. The, 
The tomb is empty. The angel spoke to us. But they said here in the scriptures that, that it was, it seemed to them an idle tale, which literally means to be delirious. They thought that the women were delirious. Now, why didn't they latch on to this truth and hear this and have even a shred of hope? It's because they saw what the Romans did to him. They knew he had been in the tomb for three days. And they know that no one comes back from the dead. And so they just gave up. They resigned. It hurt too much to hold on to hope. Why did all these people respond this way? Well, it's what you do when death comes. You try to contain and protect. You try to preserve and prolong, but you can't. Or you just resign and give up. See, the problem with the disciples is even though they were loving and caring, they still believed that Jesus was like everyone else. They believed while he was living that he could be the king in life. But not for an instance did they believe that he could be king over death. And so when Christ died, they said it's over. No one comes back. And they refused to believe. I'm a tennis player. I enjoy playing, and one of my sons has started playing as well. In fact, there was supposed to be a tennis season, but alas, uh, that was taken out. And uh, some of my advice to him, uh, if he wanted to practice, was to go, because he, you know, social distancing, finding a, a partner, to go hit against the wall. Because the wall is the perfect partner. Because the wall never fails. You can hit... Uh, until you're exhausted, and the wall will return every single ball. In fact, what the wall does is it magnifies our imperfections. If we hit it off, just off by a certain angle, it continues on in that angle, again and again and again, until it's finally out of our reach. Now, it doesn't matter how good a tennis player you are, even if Rafael Nadal decided to hit against the wall and could hit longer than any of us, sooner or later, he will succumb because the wall always lives, always wins. See, death is like the wall. It always wins. It always takes. We always succumb to it. And despite Jesus' miraculous life, despite his telling them that he would break through the wall, Despite the tomb being empty, they refused to believe because they thought that Jesus in the end is just like everyone else. And so they came that day to remember and to honor, but not to encounter. Perhaps that's why you are here today, to pay respects to a great man, to preserve his memory like the women to remember what he did during his life and his great teachings. Or maybe it's to come to contain him, to protect his name, to make sure that he is not forgotten, to place flowers on his grave, much like we do on the anniversary of one's death. We have done it with others. For many of us have lost people that we hold dear. And we can mistakenly think that Jesus is the same as them. But today is not the anniversary of Jesus' death. 
It's the anniversary of his resurrection. Because Jesus is not like anyone else. He lived a life of perfect obedience to his heavenly father. He honored God in all that he did. And he came and died, not for his sins, but for those sins of those that he came to save. And in doing so, because of his holy, perfect life, he conquered death by rising from the grave. The point of Easter is not to remember Jesus, to encounter him, which leads me to my second point, that Jesus came to be encountered, not remembered. In verse 1, we see that the women on the, at early dawn come into the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of Jesus. Notice that when they came to the tomb, they were trying to figure out how do we get in? In fact, the other scriptures, the other parallel passages, hear them muttering the question, who will roll away the stone? They didn't go into the graveyard thinking, how is he going to get out? But lo and behold, they got there and they found this stone rolled away. And they went in, but they did not find the body. There were the grave clothes that were settled right there, but Jesus was not there. And it says that they were perplexed about this. This word perplexed literally means when you can find no way out. It's when you're trapped in a corner, if you will, and you can't figure out how to get out of a maze. They were perplexed. But behold, there were two men in dazzling apparel who appeared to them. We know that these were angels. And their appearance so scared them that they were terrified. It says they bowed their faces to the ground. Most likely they fell to the ground as though they were dead. That's what happened in all the other accounts. And the angels asked this question. Why do you seek the living among the dead? In other words, what are you doing in a graveyard looking for Jesus? Why do you think that he is like everyone else? It's a fairly strong rebuke, isn't it? They say he is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. In other words, women, remember what he said. This is no fluke. This is preordained and planned with Jesus' consent. Remember that he said that he must be delivered into the hands of sinful men. This is why he came to be delivered into the hands of sinful men, to die a death that he did not deserve to pay for our sins. Jesus said that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus did not die for his sins, he died for the sins of his people. Because the reality is someone must pay for the sins on your head and on mine. What is the most severe penalty that we have in our judicial, in our penal system? Well, it's the death penalty. See, that's what death is. It's a, it's a curse laid on us. Remember what God said in the, art, in the garden to humanity. 
that if you eat from this tree, if you disobey me, you will surely die. Physical death is just a manifestation of the curse on our hearts. And someone must pay, us or him. But Jesus Christ, having paid for our sins, rose from the dead because death was unlocked from the inside. Acts 2.24 put it this way, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Jesus Christ is Lord over death. And so the women's expectations were wrong. They came in resignation when they should have come in expectation. They came to the wrong location, a graveyard, instead of where Jesus was to appear. They came to remember, and instead they encountered. Jesus would go on to appear to the women, and then to the twelve, and then to Thomas, and so on and so on, to multiple people over the next 40-day period. In fact, it's 1 Corinthians 15, 3, that has one of the earliest creeds of the Christian church, where Paul says, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve, and then He appeared to more than 500 other brothers at the same time most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. It's these very disciples, these twelve, who would see him, who would start proclaiming in the very place where he was crucified, where they ran like scared cowards, that he is alive. What was it that gave them such confidence and boldness? They would say it's because they've seen Jesus Christ. I remember... Uh, the first date I had with my wife, I was a second-year student in college, and I asked her out uh, to, we were going to go to a party uh, with some friends, and then we were going to go to a movie, and so I went to pick her up at her address. Uh, it was the Charlottesville Cemetery on McIntyre Road. I mean, that's what the address said, and uh, I still remember when I went to her tombstone and I asked her out. Well, of course, that's ridiculous, isn't it? You can't ask someone out who's passed away. Nor can you have a relationship with someone who is dead. So why would I go looking for a spouse in a graveyard? Don't answer that. In other words, why would I look for the living among the dead? See, the angels were saying to the women, and I'm saying to you that it's not over. It's just the beginning. Why are you coming to remember and not encounter? In other words, have you come to the service today to look for the dead among the living? Because if you came to seek the living, you will find him. Because Easter is about encounter. How do we encounter the living Christ now, today? What well, is through faith? Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And verse 6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists 
and that he rewards those who earnestly seeks him. Jesus Christ is here now, as much as he was then, through his Holy Spirit. Of course, he has gone up to heaven physically, but he is preparing a place for his people, and he promises to come back down. But through his Holy Spirit, you can have an encounter and a relationship with Jesus Christ now as much as they did then. It was Jesus that said in Revelation 2.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. If anyone opens the door, I will come in to be with him and him with me. Because Jesus Christ came to this earth to be encountered, not remembered. So on this Easter day, I ask you, do you know him? Not just do you know about him, who he was and what he did. For Christ is alive. If you have not yet met Jesus Christ, it's as simple as praying to him and saying, I want to know you. If you really exist, show me yourself. It's one of the most dangerous prayers you can pray. It's much safer to contain Jesus Christ than to encounter him. But he did not come to be contained or remembered. He came to be encountered. Brings me to my final point. Jesus came that you might know him too. For there was one who dared to believe and hope. His name was Peter. In verse 11, when the women came back and told them that, you know, that the tomb is empty, it said that these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves and he went home marveling at what had happened. Why is it that Peter ran while everyone else resigned? It's because his last conversation with Jesus Christ had been in the courtyard saying, I don't know this person. His last interaction, if you will, where Jesus had actually heard him was him denying Christ. So Peter was broken. Peter had failed his Lord, who he said he would never fail. He had betrayed God and God was gone. And there was no way to go back and undo the past. What happens when you can't live with yourself? But when he heard from these women that the tomb was empty, something in his heart leapt, and he believed that there was a chance for reconciliation, a chance to be free from sin and shame, a chance for his sins to be wiped out. See, the truth of the matter, my friends, is that we're all like Peter. We all have betrayed God. We have not loved him with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbor as ourself. We've ran after and worshiped other gods instead of the one Jesus Christ, the one who made us, the one in whose image we were created. But Christ has come back from the dead and overcome sin. And if he can do that, he can overcome mine as well. See, Christ came out of the tomb so you and I would never have to be imprisoned by it. That we would never have to be cut off from the one who made us and the one who loved us. And so my encouragement to you this Easter morn is to remember 
He is not in the tomb. He is risen. Jesus came not to be remembered, but to be encountered. And Jesus has the power to wipe out all of our sins and make us as white as snow. For at the cross, his blood ran red so that our sins could be washed white. Seek the living God. For he is risen. He is risen indeed. And all who seek him will find him. To all who knock, the door will be open. To all who ask for his grace, they shall receive. Let this day be a day not simply to honor and to remember, but to encounter and to enjoy and to rejoice. For Christ is risen. He's risen from the grave. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we thank you that you are Lord not only in life, but Lord over death itself. And that our sin and our shame is not enough to separate us from you. That we can come to you and that you can wash the sins of our betrayal against you and your Father away from us. That all can be made right. That we can be in relationship with you right now by faith. And one day see you face to face when the trumpet sounds. When you come down and we no longer have to live by faith but can live by sight. Until then, I pray for every single person hearing this message that they would look for you as the living one who lived and died and rose again. For you are a resurrected Savior and are alive today and willing and able to receive and pardon all those who come to you. Pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen and amen.